Hey everyone, welcome back to The Complex. On this month's episode, we deal with degrading family relations and a ruined Sweet 16. It's a lot to deal with, but James has some very simple ways to help. If you'd like to submit a storm story to be featured on this podcast, go to jamesochoa.com storm stories. Also, if you're craving more of what James has to offer, he gives away all of his tips and tricks in his video education series, available on his website. Now, let's take a listen to a reading of an anonymous author's storm entitled, Ruining My Daughter's Sweet Sixteen and Our Relationship. My daughter will turn 16 in one week, and I still haven't planned her birthday party. In my defense, I started asking her what she wanted to do a year ago, and she said that she didn't want a party. About three weeks ago, she decided that she did want a party, and that she wanted to get some hotel rooms for her and 12 of her closest friends, most of whom I have barely even met. In the meantime, my son turned 12 one week ago, and I had a sleepover party for eight boys this past weekend. With all of the planning and cleaning for that, I was unable to plan my daughter's party. Once a day, I would get a text reminder from her saying just, Hotels! Well, that hardly made me want to do anything nice for her. But I did try several times to figure out how to get 12 teenagers into as few hotel rooms as possible when the room capacity was only three to four each. So, two days ago, the stuff hit the fan. She, understandably, was panicking about setting something up. I, of course, was panicking because I haven't been able to manage to plan her party because of my perfectionism, coping mechanism, and inability to multitask. In the meantime, I'm spending all of my time trying to find a job, because I can't seem to keep one. She stormed out of the room, saying, Fine, just don't have a party for me. In my angst, I replied, Okay, I won't. Well, that didn't go over well. She spent the next hour in her room crying. In the meantime, I was thinking of how I couldn't take it and wanted her to move out. She's 15, for goodness sake, and a great kid. I went to my room and slept which is one of my coping mechanisms, along with eating. I have now delegated the party to my husband, who is not thrilled. The emotional hangover from that day carried into yesterday, when I yelled at my poor son, who also has ADHD, during our homework time. I went up to my bed, covered my head with a pillow, and tried to figure out how I could run away from it all. I used to drink to avoid these feelings of incompetence and inadequacy. In fact, I hid the feelings so well that I didn't know that I had them and couldn't have named them if you held a gun to myself. The shame of being inadequate, not good enough or less than, would have paralyzed me, so instead, I drank. A lot. For a long time. After 31 years of that, I finally admitted that I'm an alcoholic and sought help. I now have 19 months of sobriety, and while most days are absolutely wonderful, the emotional distress caused by my ADHD can still knock me sideways. I've met so, so many women in AA who also have ADHD. Our stories are so similar. I have to wonder how many other women with ADHD are trying to cope through alcohol. Women these days have so much pressure to be perfect. We have to be smart, clean, what, do my hair before leaving the house? Have perfect kids, clean houses, um careers or overly involved in our kids' schools, do yoga, how on earth are those of us with ADHD supposed to accomplish all of that? I'm overwhelmed just thinking about it. 
Time to go curl up in a fetal position and take a nap. Thanks for listening. So, James, that's a lot. <laughs> yes. That's a lot. Yes, yes. The, uh, um, the- and, you know, we have, a, we, we have a lot to dissect here, I think. Um, I think the first part, let's, let's literally just go down the story. So, in the beginning, you know, she talks about her um, planning her daughter's birthday party and, like, she had one for her son as well and all of the logistics around that and um how how to like basically manage that multitasking um and also i guess not delving too deep into your coping mechanisms uh because that seemed like a big aspect of it as well she had you know uh perfection perfectionism that she mentioned she had eating sleeping all that kind of stuff is that is that are those coping well, mechanisms common for ADHD? Well, they are. So we could talk about coping mechanisms initially uh, mm-hmm. in this storm story. But as I think uh, the listeners are getting, when you hear this kind of a story, uh, one is just the overt level of pain that it provokes for anyone. Yeah. That, uh, the you know, 16th birthdays, adolescence, parenting, ADHD. I mean, there are probably eight, nine, ten major issues in this story. And, you know, I hesitate to say, but not really, but that's, it's unfortunately too common on the ADHD spectrum. You get all these spectrums swirling together. And so, yes, even in the element of using coping skills and coping mechanisms, which she has done here, all those things are helpful it doesn't take away the intensity of the storm per se. Yeah. Okay. Well, and all those coping mechanisms can also kind of exacerbate the problem sometimes. Well, it could, they could. Yeah. I mean that, that's what, that's what I was hearing in, in kind of the story was like her perfectionism. um, While it, it may or may not be an actual coping mechanism, you know, was just kind of um, driving the, the aspect of not getting things done to an even more extreme point. Yes. Yes. And so this is where it would be certainly a legitimate space to talk about when does a coping mechanism actually help? And when does a coping mechanism become a problem? Okay. Yeah. And it, that's a real conundrum because it's a balancing act, right? It's, it's like, I remember in, uh, again, I'll refer to the section of Mayday Mayday in my book where it's like, you know, eat some of the chocolate, but not all the chocolate. So the coping mechanism of eating chocolate, you're trying to modulate that coping mechanism. Okay. (laughs) In this case, she's trying to modulate the coping mechanism of sleep or the coping Mm -hmm. mechanism of, you know, having something to eat as a nurturing element to herself. Yeah. Um, and so that balance is not easy or simple. Uh, and if you look at like perfectionism, perfectionism can lot, can really drive a lot of uh, personal routine and structure and things that can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, almost sometimes what I would call functional OCD. It's like, I've got to have these kind mm. of routines um, yeah. that can be very helpful for me. Um, yeah. But sometimes they are they're not as helpful as I'd like them to be, or they become they kind of get in the way. Okay, yeah. I think that's a that's a real issue on the ADHD spectrum. There's no easy way out of it, but you continue, mm. you modulate or you monitor the coping mechanism and how much it's helping or not is really the right. best way. But it's not like you throw them out or you don't use them. 
Gotcha. That's, that's not true. Yeah. And I think part of this was also, it was the coping mechanisms, but it was also in relation with her kids. Yes. Um, and I think that we've touched on this a little bit in, in uh, the complex itself in the uh, narrative fiction series. Right. Um, but kind of getting back to it, it can be really, really hard as an ADHD parent yes. uh, with ADHD kids. Yes. Um, because, for one, it's genetic, right? And so it runs in the family. Right. Two, right. Um, the kid might be diagnosed, but the parent might not be diagnosed. Right. Um, and so how, you know, even if they are both diagnosed and they're both trying to manage their symptoms, I feel like when one person has a storm in the family it can it can have a chain reaction through everyone with ADHD sure you have that certainly that activation aspect of it where kind of like popcorn you know it sets off other pieces of it right um and so but i think what you're you, you the point you're bringing up around the parenting aspect for adults with ADHD who have children who are also diagnosed with it is a very difficult spectrum and one that really does uh, need some unpacking uh, yeah. and I think discussion. And I really think that that's probably one of the most supportive ways to go about this kind of a storm as beginning to kind of see, okay, how do I develop perspectives or concepts or ideas to manage this going forward? All right. Mm -hmm. We could talk about, about recovery from this and, and repair of the relationship and those kinds of things could be important. But I think initially let's talk about parenting some and kind of how yeah. uh, parents look at this whole process. So, you know, I would begin with giving a, just a very brief uh, overview of my philosophy of parenting is that uh, one of the bottom lines is that the community of a family um, is relationship based and everyone involved in it has a voice. And everyone yeah. involved has an ability to contribute and be a part of that community. So I, I am not a fan of autocratic kind of parenting where it's my way or the highway or things are driven mm. to such a rigid degree because you, you need that community effort of building relationships with your children. Um, I say at the very least because your children are relying on you on how to be a functional adult. Yeah. And as an adult, you want to have relationships with people that you can that can feel meaningful. Okay. How, how would that actually look? So in it, because I think a lot of times people, um, especially as parents, they see their kid as someone that they need to help become a functional adult. Sure. Like you were saying, right. Right. And, right. and right. the easiest way to do that is just to kind of like tell them what to do. Um, but a lot of times that doesn't, actually work all that no much. no it doesn't and this is where if you think about an adult being a uh, an, certainly having experienced adult life much more often than what they're trying to teach the child say in adolescence where they're now a young adult at least mentally and neurologically they can think like yeah. an adult uh regarding uh kind of abstract thinking or how the mind processes information um but because of that um, they're really looking to the parent, okay, on right. how to do those types of things. So a parent just um, uh, 
spitting back their experience or this is how it has to happen or this is the best way to do it. Everyone wants to have their own individual identity growing up. And so yeah. that kind of discussion or relationship we're talking about develops that sense of identity. And, you know, you ask, what are kind of, what does that look like? And what does yeah. it sound like? Well, it looks like what I would call are the ideas of family meetings or community meetings where okay. you sit down and you're able to talk out ideas or frustrations or things that need to be done in the community of the family. But it's a dialogue. It's a communication. Yeah. Now, there's a key element to this relational type of parenting on uh, that I discuss. And that is, I say to parents, I generally ask them to work on themselves 70% of the time, meaning 7% of the time, look at how you're affecting your child's environment and space and how well okay. are you taking care of your own issues in a way that's meaningful uh, so that you can be present for them as an adult that mm -hmm. is in is healthy or as an adult that's available. 30% of the time, provide the environment, the resources for a child to grow and prosper. Um, this does not mean that the parent gives up control to setting rules or regulations or safety or gotcha. bedtimes. Yeah. Those things that are going to be a component a parent is going to... Um, uh, you know, set up a system for in a family, but it's in dialogue with the parent, with the children that allows them to have a voice about that. It's yeah. okay so if the they kids disagree. Be, yeah, they should be part of the discussion. Sure. Even if it's like, even if it's me saying, okay, your, your bedtime is, you know, 10 p.m. Um, right. And the kid's like, no, I want it to be like midnight. And we'll, and then you're like, well, okay, these are the reasons for it being 10 p.m. Yes, you have to get yes. up this time and then right. blah, blah, blah. Right. You, you explain it and you give them the reasoning such that they can understand where you're coming from. It's and, not just like an authoritarian kind of like yes, cracking down on it. Right. And then you're allowing the child to experiment with some things and to kind of okay. go through go through things with you. Um, and so that model is the one that I use, what I would call relational parenting. Uh, but one of the states that's a very I'm, delicate balance, though, isn't it? Yeah, because, because there's it's easy to go into the authoritarian mode, especially if you're like stressed or tired or whatever. Yes. Yep. Um, but it's also. I, you know, I think sometimes it's also very easy to just kind of give up and be like, fine, do whatever you want. Um, and that can also be really bad. And so right. playing that playing that thread and that balance can, so, uh, I think, be where the sweet spot is. Well, it is. And so let me just go ahead and use the story as a direct example here. Okay. Sure. So yeah. uh, when the mom uh, really lost her cool and yelled back at the daughter about just forget the party then, I don't want to do it, and yeah. her daughter just really just goes off to her room and cries – that is an element where, yes, the parent in this case does need to resource, take care of themselves, and come back to center. But mm -hmm. also, the uh, authenticity and the vulnerability of being able to talk to her um, uh, daughter in a way that is meaningful for her to yeah. understand, which would look like um, owning up to her behavior and having lost her temper, not going back to the daughter and saying, you did this and this and this and this, and you're responsible. Yeah. It's more about the mom saying, look, I lost my cool. That's not the greatest thing. Where do we go from here? 
Now, gotcha. the key element to that for a parent is a sense of vulnerability or exposure that occurs in yeah. that kind of discussion. What that means is that what happens for many parents is they don't want to be that exposed. They don't want to be that vulnerable to their child. And I will say you have to be reasonably careful that, um, you know, many children in a hurtful way can bring those things up to a parent later on and kind of use it against them in the court of the family, as I call it. So, yeah. but I do think the authenticity of a parent saying, hey, this wasn't good. It wasn't my best side. These are things that I would do differently. You're leading the child by example in this case. Mm. And I find that parents, that is the higher responsibility in parenting. Um, You know, I make a statement, Jules, also that in this case, uh, many times your children are your greatest teachers. Most parents don't know they're in school. They don't sign up for the lessons Mm -hmm. and they don't do the homework. And so (laughs) what could the child, you know, teach the mom in this case? Well, she's teaching her about how to come back to center and find a way um, that could have some meaning about recovering from the disruption, building the relationship back, uh, finding a way uh, to help the daughter feel like the party is meaningful to her uh, and talk out those things. And obviously, this is much bigger than just this one single podcast because we're talking again. There are eight, nine, ten things that are really coming at us in this storm. But I think the parenting process and relationship with your children is really a key concept I want to get across here. Do you do you talk about this at all in your video education series? I actually do. I talk about parenting um, in a way of helping people understand ADHD. Yeah. And um, it's also something that um, uh, I know I, I, I resource a little bit in the book, um, yeah. you know, but um, yes, the video education series gives you some philosophies about understanding parenting. I know uh, I go over aspects of things in there. Yeah. And that by, that might be a good way for someone who's more curious about this to, uh, I guess, maybe maybe get more information and kind of learn yep. more about it, even just from you know, this one podcast, because this one podcast definitely isn't, uh, definitely isn't everything. Yeah. Um, But it's also one of the things that in, in my, uh, in the next year coming up, I'm really do want to get out and do, uh, community speeches on say parenting Mm -hmm. in this case or ADHD related issues. And it's one of the things I'm going to be doing more nationally and internationally next year is getting out and doing those kind of trainings. And I am open to opportunities for that, uh, for parents who have aspects of places where, you know, uh, I could help influence individuals about how I see and work with ADHD. Great. Well, let's move on to kind of the um, latter half of the story that I think Mm -hmm. is extremely relatable to you as well. Um, Right. In in the fact that, um, you know, we learned that she has been sober for 19 months, which is awesome. Um, But she, you know, once an once an addict kind of always an addict right and mm-hmm. especially as an alcoholic um you might have some uh tendencies and irritabilities that uh could very easily get sparked so how um as someone going through sobriety and um mm-hmm. and maintaining your your um non-alcoholic nature right 
how do you how do you maintain that in well, in these high stress situations? Well, it's a it, it's a really good point, and recovery issues within ADHD are significant. Um, and this mom reveals some very personal information about those struggles for her, and and we do know that on the addiction cycle that. You know, there's a 30% higher risk of addictions for those diagnosed with ADHD because of oh, the... Oh, really? Yeah, it's the impulse wow. control problem is one of them and making poor decisions at difficult times or emotional times. Kind of it's shiny all, objects. <laughs> yes, chasing shiny objects, trying yeah. to relieve a feeling state in this case. Mm. Um, and the other reason is that there's poor evaluation and planning about how much to use, when or where regarding drug or alcohol use where... Uh, you can become very, um, you can overuse very easily and find yeah. yourself in an abuse aspect that can lead to addiction. So, you know, uh, the interesting thing about the addiction um, aspect on the ADHD spectrum is that, interestingly enough, um, ADHD that is treated, medication, uh, uh, services like myself, mindfulness, strategies, those kind of things, you can really lower that uh, risk rate of um addiction related problems within ADHD back into the norm of what it is for general society. So you can really take mm -hmm. out a lot of the risk factor by treating the ADHD. I imagine you could also take a lot of the risk factor out of, uh, uh, for like relapse. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. if, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe you even, um, start managing your ADHD better in sobriety because you start becoming more aware yes. of those kinds yes. of things that are Well, affected. the other interesting thing about uh, recovery models such as like 12-step models or other kinds of things regarding drug or mm -hmm. alcohol use is that the structure, routine, and consistency of those does, you're absolutely right, provides a platform of consistency and not mm -hmm. only consistency but of a real emotional and mental support so in this case, the mom does have a resource to go back to for mental and emotional storms like this that can be really yeah. help her kind of work through them. Yeah. Although they may not be uh, ADHD specific, um, mm -hmm. they can certainly help within the mental and emotional stress or her feeling states potentially of wanting uh, to feel like she this is why she used to drink or things like that. But right. Um, I'll also note to people, you know, on the market, there is a, for those who are centric or understanding the 12-step model for recovery, there's actually a book, a 12-step book for ADHD recovery that you can work oh, the really? 12 steps on the concepts of oh ADHD so that you're powerless over your ADHD and your life has become unmanageable. Yeah. So you could do that in a group. You could work it on your own. But there is, if you looked on... Do you on, know what the title of that book you is? You could... Uh, I, it is on my shelf, and so we could get it uh, here in a few minutes, um, and I could tell you exactly what it is, or you could put it as a link on here. But yeah, I know it's a I book can... that can be gotten on Amazon, um, and I believe it's the Twelve Steps. Um, I'll have to. I'll have to. We'll put it on a we'll, link. We'll here check on it later. Yeah, and then but I'll it could make be helpful. sure to provide a link. But it could be helpful. But in this case, you know, the mom has already started helping herself. Uh, in this case, the recovery from the storm could be assisted by uh, using that recovery support system to kind of help her come back to center with her daughter, for yeah. sure. Is that really kind of the center centerpiece of this parenting model, that, that helping yourself is kind of the best way to help your kids? Because um, I, I can kind of see that. You know, you can see that in everyday life, that if, if 
you're not helping yourself, you're not going to have the energy or bandwidth to deal with anybody else that you might want to care for. Well, yes. Yes. And so that self-care or caring for yourself is an important aspect. And part of mm-hmm. the other interruptions you see in this storm are um, a lot related to the intensity of emotions um, and also the intensity of limits and boundaries regarding making decisions yeah. uh, that there were some last minute things that were coming at the mom. She wanted to be able to help her daughter as much as she could. Um, she had another party to plan for her younger son, felt overwhelmed by it. But, you know, setting some limits or boundaries with her daughter about, you know, kind of how much information she needed or timelines to be able to, to make decisions about things um, yeah. is important. And so, you know, the mom may have had a challenging time with that because of a past history that she felt guilty or difficult, that she wanted yeah. to be able to really help her daughter where she could, uh, but then it turned out in failure. Right. So um, I think the other aspect of this is really the abject failure that occurred for the mom mm-hmm. and the feeling states of that to understand that failure is a part of life many times and yeah. such a huge part of the attention of uh, or the attention issues of ADHD that learning to accept it, as I talk about, and learning to process through it and resource yourself to come back to center. But really what I talk about in my book, Focus Forward, being able to take steps to move on. You know, mm. don't continue to cycle in the pattern of shame. What, yeah, I mean, I think what can get a lot of people, though, is that when they're in that cycle of shame and they're kind of looping on themselves they and and someone tells them to like just move on or take the next Mm -hmm. step like they have no idea what that is right right (laughs) and so is is there any kind of thing that someone could if if they feel like they are in that kind of loop right now what is a easy successful step that they could take um to to try and break that well, the first piece, I would think there's probably, there's kind of a three-step process here. One is you do very much what this mom is doing, is you recover. You you mm-hmm. let yourself rest, you take a nap, you get away. For, your, for this mom, she might go to uh, a 12-step meeting and process it, but you come back to yeah. center yourself. If you're not in center or resourced yourself, you're not going to be able to take the next steps of kind of engaging and taking responsibility. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And some of that engaging and taking responsibility would be a next step of the mom being able to approach the daughter and, you know, really talking about, okay, I know what happened here. This was my part in it. Uh, Within 12 step materials, it's always going to be known as like the 10th step of of kind of reflecting on your own behavior. But in this case, I think it's uh, the mom talking with the daughter. And this is what other people can do to move forward is what's one small reconciliation or way that we can go about connecting to ourselves and doing something uh, to restore the relationship in this case. Okay. So resourcing yourself first, you know, acknowledging what your part in it was and really accepting uh, your part in it and being able to see what you uh, had to do with it. But then looking at reconciliation or reconnecting or kind of what do I do? So her and the daughter might go out for their own special dinner. 
for her 16th birthday party. Or she might set up something for her daughter to have with her friends at a restaurant, maybe not at a hotel. You know, something that can be kind of a reconciliation space. Gotcha. Some place that they can both enjoy and be together to get kind of... It's it's interesting because you get you have to center yourself yes. to then go and center the relationship. <laughs> yes, you right? do. And I'm I'm telling you, it is um, as what I believe. Um, I've worked very hard at my own parenting process uh, with my children. You being one of those, it's such yes. an odd occurrence. Uh, <laughs> so you've experienced much of what we're talking about. I believe mm-hmm. that I've been authentic in taking care of myself and having more of a community as a family. Um, that your mom, Edie, my wife has been a part of with us. Uh, and I think you've experienced how we get through these things. It's not always simple or easy, but it does help to keep the relationship intact. It does. Yeah. And of course there's, you know, there's going to be good times and bad times. This isn't going to be a silver bullet, but the thing is, is that it, it's a process. It's relationships take work, but at the same time that work should be worth it, you know, because it it brings the relationship back to center. It brings it to a place to where both of you can enjoy it and be successful in it. Um, And both of you in that relationship, whether it's a child or a significant other, um, end up getting to a point to where you are better from that in the end. Yes, you are. Yeah. So, well, thank you, James. That's um, a lot of really great insights on... um, parenting and uh alcohol recovery and just all all of the stuff we talked about today. yeah i think I the whole and really again great. yeah the whole centering part about relationship with others but also with yourself um, yeah that's the aspect of long term that you continue to evolve within the nature of the diagnosis of adhd that that's a real centering piece of this the self-care but it's the relationship yeah. you have with yourself and others that I think yeah. is real key. And and my heart really, really goes out to this mom. It's such a difficult space in raising children. Uh, absolutely can be done successfully. It is one of the you know greatest lessons in life you can learn if you stay in front of these pieces. So yeah. I'm glad we had a chance to talk about parenting today. That's one of my um, really most important aspects I really like to talk to uh, parents and communities about. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much. And um James, did you find and the name of that? I did actually find the name of that, and it's the 12 Steps, A Key to Living with Attention Deficit Disorder. Um, and it is, it is an anonymous author who, from what I can understand, must have been in recovery uh, themselves. Uh, but it's yeah. a very effective book, actually written almost 23 years ago, believe it or not, oh, wow. 1996. So, But it's a yeah. great resource for those in recovery who want to understand. Today, I'm sure. It is very relevant yeah. today. Yeah. Yep. Okay, well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you have any storms that you would like to submit to be on this podcast, you can go and submit them at jamesochoa.com under the Storm Stories tab. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you, James, for all the insights. Absolutely. And we'll see you all next month. All right, take care, everybody. Producer and editor of The Complex is Jules Ochoa. The executive producer and local ADHD expert is James Ochoa, LPC. The reader for today's story was Evan Schleifer-Katz.